0: If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to continue in this series that we are calling Power Up. We are uh, figuring out with Paul as he writes to his friends in Ephesus what this immeasurable greatness of God's power is and how it applies to our lives. He prays that in the first chapter. I pray that your heart's eyes would be opened to the immeasurable greatness of God's power. and I believe fully that God has the power to overcome the circumstances of our life, if, if he chooses not to overcome our circumstances and allows them per, to persist, he gives us the power to walk through whatever we face in life. And uh, so I rejoice in God's power and look forward to uh, discussing with you the power of his peace today. All right, let me pray, and I'm going to preach at you for some, some time here. Sound good? Doesn't matter. It's going to happen. <laughs> Lord, thanks so much for an opportunity to gather in your place, your house, uh, we, recognize, we recognize that this is not the church, the building. We are the church. And uh, we gather as your body to make much of you and now to hear from you. And uh, Lord, we want to just open our hearts and our minds to the things that you'd have for us. Help us today as uh, we move forward from here uh, to recognize your power in our lives. Uh, to respond in, in kind to the things that you've done for us and are willing to do for us in your power and uh, help us to live God lives uh, that make much of you and bring you the glory you deserve. As always, get me out of the way, speak in my place, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to talk about the power of peace, the power of peace. I assert this to you, that there is power up potential in peaceful moments in life. Is anybody like me think that? I, I think that totally is true. In fact, I am uh, extroverted to, a, to an extent, but after I've been with people for a long time, i got to get away. Anybody like me? Like I like to go to movies alone because no one can talk to me and I could just sit there and re, uh, refill. Uh, when I'm driving home at night, we live, uh, by God's grace, in a, in a place where there's lots of natural beauty now. And so when I'm driving home at night going down 60 and I turn off of 60 on a Gornto Lake Road, I actually live in, in Mr. Gornto's old house. Yeah, and so as I head towards Mr., well, my house now. As I head towards my house, I can almost feel the day. Does anybody have this experience? As you're turning onto your drive, you can almost feel the weights of the day leaving your shoulders. You get out of your car and you walk in your house and uh, you pet your dog. If you got one of those, we got the best dog ever. His name's Toby. Uh, I kiss my bride. i got the best bride ever. No offense, fellas and ladies. Uh, but then I sit down and I just kind of breathe, right? And I sense the... The power being uh, pulled back into me as I rest. Jesus did this all the time, didn't He? I mean, He would He would minister and minister and minister, and then He'd pull away. He'd go to be with His Father. He'd go to He'd go to be alone to rejuvenate and replenish. Now, I think there's huge power up potential to be found in moments of peace. But here's something else I think about peace. I think much of peace is impossible without power. Much of peace is impossible uh, without God's power specifically being infused into those of us who follow him. We can't have peace without God's power. I, was, uh, I woke up yesterday morning, and uh, uh, Saturday morning, Eleanor goes into work for a few hours. I work on Saturdays as well. Uh, my son goes to work at Penny and, and he leaves early. So I woke up a little bit after they had left, and it was a quiet house. Who likes a quiet house? Anybody like a quiet house? You can just get up. You don't have to get dressed or anything. Just walk around. right? <laughs> Sorry for that image. Anyway, uh, <coughs> but I, I was walking around, just hanging out, and it was totally quiet except for this one electronic sound. It was a beep. Like periodically, every, every 30 seconds, a beep. What was it? Anybody know? Smoke alarm. Yeah, smoke alarm down the hallway. Uh, its battery, I would come to find out later, was dead. And here's how smoke alarms work today in these houses that have, new, uh, have to apply, or comply with these new codes is there's many smoke alarms and they're all hardwired together. And if one of them goes off when a fire starts, all of them go off. I found out yesterday that if you're changing the battery in my smoke alarms, I don't know about yours, but if you're changing one of the batteries in my smoke alarms, it sees that a circuit has been broken. And so as a warning to the family, it sets off all the fire alarms, even as you're changing the battery. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get this battery out, and the house that was once peaceful is now this cacophonous, I can't even stay in there. In fact, I'm so frustrated that these, you know, I thought I've done it right and correctly and it should be going off, but I'm so frustrated. I take my iPad outside and Google how to shut up my house, right? <laughs> how do I make my house stop doing this? I'm Googling it outside so that the noise isn't killing my dog and my myself. And, and I finally figured out it's all fuse box stuff and uh, some of you are like, duh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, fellas. Anyway, uh... But I figured all out, and finally the quiet comes back, and it's all because the power had been restored in this one unit. You know, we read last week in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, that you and I, if, uh, if we were born into this world, we were born without God's presence in our life. He He was over us; He loved us, but we, He was not connected to us. We were. It says in there in verse one that we were dead. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We followed the way of the world, the way of our adversary Satan. We we followed the passions of our flesh. We were active, but spiritually, we were dead. Active in all the wrong ways and dead in the most important one. But as we read uh, those verses last week, we realized that uh, because of God's mercy and His love, He extended His grace and He resuscitated us. He raised us to new life with Him as we put our faith in his son, Jesus. And in the same way that he rose Jesus from the grave, he's raising us to new life. In the same way that he sat Jesus at the right hand of the Father in a place of dominion, he's raised us to that position. We have power because our Savior reigns within us. But it's all because he took a dead thing and by his power, he made it alive. He took a a dead thing us and by his power he brought us peace with himself and even with with each other we're going to see that revealed in today's text i'm so grateful that because of god's love and grace and power we are given peace with him through christ i am uber grateful that because of god's love grace and power we are given peace with, with each other through christ we know that peace is a central theme of the story of our Savior Jesus. You just have to go to Christmas. Everybody ready for Christmas? Anybody got their tree up? This is the true Christmas people. Anybody got their tree up? No, very, she's not very. Yeah, uh, Christmas is coming. And we celebrate Christmas because it's the birth of Christ. It's the birth of our Savior. Does anybody remember how the angels heralded the birth of our Savior? Glory to God in the highest, they sang. And what's the next word? And on earth, peace. I guess the next word was and. But the point I'm trying to make is that peace was the song that the angel sang. Glory to God. But glory to God for his peace that has come to earth through this child who is born. Peace will reign in the lives of those with whom he is pleased. Jesus spoke often about peace. He told us to be peacemakers in Matthew chapter 5. He, he went on to be our great peacemaker. Uh, wherever there was violence and hostility, he sought to uh, reconcile and restore. Uh, he says to his friends the week before he's going to be crucified, he's speaking to them in John 14, and it's that uh, part of Scripture where he says, let not your hearts be troubled, right? You who believe in God believe also in me, right? Yeah, he goes on later in that that speech, that tried to say, peace I leave with you. My whole reason for being here was to bring peace. P- peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not the world's brand. It's not just the absence of conflict that I leave with you. I bring you a peace that Paul will describe uh, as surpassing understanding. He says, let not your hearts be troubled." Neither let them be afraid. Jesus dies. And on Easter, we celebrate his resurrection. That day, that first Sunday that Jesus comes back from the grave, he, he meets with the ladies at the, at the tomb who had come to uh, redress his wrappings. Uh, he tells them to go tell, tell my friends that I'm alive. He meets with some people who are walking away from Jerusalem, forlorn over the fact that Jesus had died Uh, He meets them, and on the road to Emmaus, he explains everything from their scriptures as to why he had to die. And and then the next group that he reveals himself to are the actual disciples. And in John chapter 20, uh, verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, that that first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, they were meeting in a clandestine way, hoping to hide themselves from those who had killed their leader. Uh, It says that Jesus came and stood among them And he said to them, peace, be with you. Now, we can understand him saying, peace, be with you. He's probably got to calm them down because, you know, they are seeing what they would think was a ghost. And uh, so he says, no, no, I'm not a ghost. This is for real. Uh, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad. They weren't fearful anymore. They were glad when they saw their Lord. And so Jesus has another chance to start his words again. What do you think he says? Peace. Peace. Peace be with you. Not just peace for the moment to calm you down, but listen, my my message has been all along, peace on earth, peace I give to you. Not a peace like the world gives, a different kind of peace. Peace be with you, Jesus says to his disciples. Then he sends them, he says, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. Take this message of peace to the world. Is anybody grateful that God gives us peace? Is anybody grateful that there's power in his peace? We're going to study that today. Paul's going to point us to the peace that we've been given in this next section of his letter to the Ephesians. He describes uh, where we were as Gentiles again. He kind of reiterates what he said in the first part of this chapter. Uh, He's going to uh, indicate where we are now if we have Jesus in his peace, and he's going to explain what God hopes for us as we move forward with him. I I kind of like to summarize those statements this way. He, He tells us to remember to rejoice and to respond. I think these are the three R's of the Christian life. Everybody remember being taught about the three R's of school? What were they, reading, writing, and arithmetic? Which is so bogus, right? Because seriously, there's only one R in there, right? Reading starts with R, but writing starts with W. Arithmetic? that's not even a word. <laughs> I always thought that was funny that we're messing kids up by, you know, they're gonna get those words wrong on the spelling test now because we told them they're the three R's. But there are three R's in the Christian life. Certainly other things that we could say that quantify this life that we have with Christ, but I think when we wake up every morning to life with Christ, a new day in following him, we should start with the three R's. Remember, remember who you were before Jesus came into your life, even if it was a long time ago and you were really young and you don't have a whole lot of history before that day, Just remember that the Bible describes who you were. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were lost. You were helpless and hopeless. Remember who you were. It'll change how you live that day. Rejoice. Rejoice in what God has done for you through Christ. As we've been talking this morning, I don't know what your circumstances are. Uh, I know that on Monday, friends of mine are going to go through a surgery, and we're praying for that to be well. I know that this past weekend, friends of mine uh, lost uh, one of the in-laws of their kids uh, to a car accident, and we're praying for them to be okay. I don't know what your circumstances are. Here's what I do know. Regardless of what this life brings, you always have something to rejoice about. You may not always be happy But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should always have joy. Rejoice. In this text, it tells us that we were far from God and Jesus brought us near. Rejoice in that. And then finally, respond. You know, I don't want to be over simplistic here, but the Christian life is is just simply a response to what Jesus has done for us. You don't have to know everything about the Bible, although I encourage you to do as much as you can to understand everything that's in there. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to you know, be a professional Christian like I am. <laughs> I say that with my tongue firmly in my cheek. You just have to know what Jesus did for you and respond in kind. Jesus sacrificed for you. Be like him. Go sacrifice for others. Jesus served you. Be like him and go serve others. Jesus loved you. Be like him and go love others. Just respond the power of peace that Jesus has brought to your lives. Let's go through those things together and then I'll leave you to it. First thing is remember. What should we specifically remember as we read these verses? We should remember that we were alienated from God and others. Look what it says in verse 11 as we start there at Ephesians chapter two. He says, therefore, remember that one time or at one time, you Gentiles, he's speaking to the Ephesians here, but most of them are non-Jewish people. He says, you Gentiles there in Ephesus, Gentiles in the flesh, uh, you are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. The circumcision uh, here is referring to the, the Jewish race, the Jewish uh, people. And uh, circumcision was a sign on Jewish males that they were indeed Jewish. Uh, if you're sitting with someone younger, you might want to explain that to them later. But uh, uh, the Gentiles were seen as the uncircumcised, the one who's, the ones who were not included in this promise that was given to the descendants of Abraham. And so Paul kind of takes another slant on what he said in verse one. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Uh, he says, listen, you were alienated, is what we're gonna get to, verse 12. Remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God uh, in the world. Five things he says there. He says, first of all, you were Christless, As Gentiles, you had no shot at Jesus. He hadn't been born yet, but you were Christless. You were without Christ. Uh, You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were stateless. You weren't a part of the old covenant the Old Testament tells us about. You hadn't been uh, included amongst the children of God as descendants of Abraham. So you were Christless. You were stateless. You were friendless. He calls them strangers. You were alone in the world. You were strangers to the covenant of the promise. You weren't connected communally uh, to the nation of Israel. And you were hopeless. You had no hope, and you were godless. You were without God in the world. Is everybody feeling pretty down about where we were? That's not a good run of descriptions there. Uh, Not a whole lot of great things to be talking about in those things. Uh, They were alienated, uh, not just from God, but from the the Jews. There there was this um, just harsh hostility between Jew and Gentile. Uh, the Jews have been taught from an early age that Gentiles were really just kindling for the fires of hell. That's what they were taught by their parents. Don't, don't associate with Gentiles, God just made them to make the the fires of hell burn hotter. Uh, if a Jew, a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, uh, that family, that Jewish family that Uh, lost their kid to a Gentile relationship, had a funeral for that child on the same day of their wedding. Didn't go to the wedding, and instead of having a wedding, they had a funeral. Because that kid, uh, having joined himself to a Gentile heathen, was now dead to the family. Uh, Jewish people were instructed that if they found a Gentile woman in labor, don't help her, because you'll just be assisting her in bringing one more heathen into the world. Uh, Pretty harsh. I'm so glad that there's no kind of harshness like that in our world anymore. Is anybody glad that there's, there's no enmity between people groups? There's no more racism or classism or nationalism or whatever ism you want to throw out there. There's no, isn't it great that we all function as one big happy? Is anybody picking up my sarcasm there? Yeah. This is the condition of man hostility and rivalry. I mean, it's, it's just born in us, it's our nature. Uh, to elevate ourselves above others, to, uh, to, to point out the faults in others, to to hold grudges against others and to separate in relationship. Yeah, that's who we were. As uh, Gentiles, as those dead in our trespasses and our transgressors and sins, we, we, were, we were separated, hostile towards God and others. Uh, I, I think it's important for us, like I said, to remember that that's where we were because it'll make us more appreciative of where we are now if we can remember where we've come from. Uh, does anybody remember the parable of the, uh, uh, the, the guy in Matthew 18 who had been forgiven a huge debt, billions of dollars in today's currency? The master forgave him this debt. And then he went out, and on the highways and byways, he met someone who owned him 20 bucks. And he told the guy who owed him 20 bucks, you better pay me or I'm gonna throw you into debtor's prison. The guy couldn't pay and indeed, he threw him into debtor's prison. And the master who had forgiven the billions of dollars of debt found this guy and says, is it true you didn't forgive this guy after I'd forgiven you much? And he's like, yeah. And the master uh, poured his wrath out on that servant. It was all in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples to forgive 70 times seven. But it basically comes from the parable at least, uh, remembering that you've been forgiven much. If you could just remember where you were and what you've been given in Christ, it will make the Christ-like thing that you're supposed to do, once you have Christ in your life, you being like Christ. It, it stems from your ability to remember the grace you've been given so that you can live out the grace of our Savior. I was in uh, Dominican Republic for a mission trip years ago as a youth pastor, and there's two airports on the Dominican Republic Island, and uh, I flew into one, and so I didn't even look at my return ticket. I just assumed I was flying out of the same airport. And so when it came time for me to get up early before the rest of the group was leaving, uh, I was leaving before the trip was over, and, and be driven to the airport by some of my Dominican friends, I just told them the airport that I flew into. I got to the airport, stood in line the whole time for what I thought was my flight until I got to the front desk, and I handed her my ticket, and she said, sir, you're in the wrong airport. I said, pardon me? I didn't even know at that time there was a second airport. She says, yeah, sometimes this happens with American Airlines flights. Uh, we fly into this one, fly out of the other one, but uh, you're four hours away from where your flight is taking off in a half an hour. <laughs> I said, well, that's not the math I need to hear, right? <laughs> I, I said, I, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I had no idea and I, I don't know what to do and I recognize it's not your job to you know, cover my mistakes, but if there's anything you can do... Well, she started doing, you know, all that stuff. She starts doing all that stuff. And she said, sir... This is your lucky day. I told her, I didn't tell her, but I was think, thinking, I don't believe in luck, but go ahead. Anyway, uh, she says, we have this one last seat on this. I mean, it's way back in the corner. It's not going to be able to recline. I was like, I don't care. It's on the plane. Will my bags get there too? She's like, yeah, we've got you, you're covered. I said, thank you so much. You know what? I got on that plane day, uh, that day differently than I've gotten on any other plane in my life. Like I was uh, the plane's servant. I was so grateful to be on the plane. Oh, you need help getting your bag up there? Happy to help you. I have no, I have no right to be on this plane. Uh, can I serve drinks with you, ma'am? I'll serve drinks. I have no right to be on this plane. It was my fault. I was in the wrong airport. I had no seat. And by the grace of American Airlines, I flew home that day. You wake up every day thinking that I shouldn't be on the plane. I shouldn't be in this life with Christ. There is nothing in me that would merit his grace and favor. I should walk around with this day that he's given me, this grace that he's given me, with this breath that he's filled my lungs with, I should walk around and do whatever I can to serve him and the people that he loves. Because I don't deserve to be on this plane. There's power in remembering the peace that we've been given in Christ. The second thing we need to do is rejoice. We need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in the fact that Jesus tore down the walls that separate us from God and each other. Look what it says in the next verses. But now, he says that's who you were, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you Gentiles, you Ephesians who were far off from God, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Lots of people read about the blood in the Bible and they're kinda not familiar with that. They're like, why is there so much blood? All they're pointing to is the sacrifice that Jesus made. When you read blood, you read sacrifice. Jesus gave himself. It was what was required to pay the payment for sin was death. He gave himself as a sacrifice so that you and I might be brought from far into relationship with God. He goes on and he says this, for he himself, Jesus, is our what? Peace. He's given us peace. He's given us himself who has made us both one, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh, in his sacrifice, in his giving of himself, the dividing wall of hostility. You're early. You're going to be playing for a long time. Everybody give it up for our Danisha. She's coming back out later. (laughs) It's our first week. All right. All right. Seriously, you can stop playing. <laughs> Sorry. The dividing wall, everybody would go to the temple. Everybody would go to the temple and they would think, oh, walls are in the temple. And there's specifically a dividing wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews, the Jewish women, the Jewish men, the high priests. There was different sections. And there was a, an inscription on the wall Uh, uh, separated the court of the Gentiles from the other courts. It says, listen, if you're a Gentile and you pass this wall, it's actually in a a museum in New York. If you pass this wall as a Gentile, you're dead. In fact, somebody remember, we were studying this back in the book of Acts uh, this past summer, that Paul went to Jerusalem and they had a riot. And why did they have a riot? Because someone accused him of taking one of his friends, surprise, surprise, from Ephesus, a guy named Trophimus. He was accused of taking this Gentile where? Past the wall. Into the court of the Jews. It was such an offense to Jewish people that not only did they want to kill Trophimus, they wanted to kill the Jew that let him in. And so they took Paul outside and were ready to kill him. And that's how Paul's imprisonment story in the book of Acts begins. He was accused of crossing the line, passing through the wall. Here's what Jesus just uh, was, was said by Paul to, to have done. He, he, he busted down the walls. Jesus is a wrecking ball when it comes to walls. He breaks down the walls that separate us from uh, uh, our God. He's he's breaking down the walls, will break down the walls that separate us from each other. He did all of this at the cross. He he paid the price so that the walls could come down. Yeah. How did he do that? He he did that in verse 15 by, uh, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He's talking about the Mosaic law here, but not the whole Mosaic law. Just let me make this quick stipulation. You know, because some of you are scholars and you've read the Bible and you know that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. So how can Jesus abolish and uh, fulfill the law at the same time? Well, there's different parts to the law. The part that he abolished is the ceremonial law, the laws that govern the Jewish rites of religion. So making sacrifices, keeping all the feasts, making sure that you jump through the hoops and dot your I's and cross your T's, uh, Jesus abolished that. He, he erased the lines between Jew and Gentile, and he says, "That's not what's going to make you righteous." In fact, it never was. Uh, what makes you righteous is that you are um, innocent according to the moral law, and that's the law that Jesus came to keep. He kept all the moral laws. He, he lived honestly, and the ceremonial laws, I should say, but he kept all the moral laws. And as a keeper of the law, he became our perfect sacrifice so that not in our ability to keep the laws of God, but in his ability, as we put our faith to him and his righteousness is imputed to us, we are seen as innocent. He abolished the ceremonial law. He did this so that he might create for himself a new man. He, when, he, when he tore down the wall of hostility, he created a new humanity. I'm not talking about a super race or something like that, but I am talking about a separate race, we who are in Christ are different. We are, it tells us all over the scriptures, we're made new. We're not just kind of a rehab project, a, a refabrication of our old selves. We are made new. And so, what used to be Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, we, we've been made one in Christ as a new humanity. Hmm. He also reconciled us as a new humanity to himself. If you can go back, He uh, or verse 16, he says, and he did all this that he might reconcile us both to God, Jew and Gentile, in one body through the cross, and thereby killing the hostility. This is one of my favorite phrases in the whole book of Ephesians, because here's what Paul just said. Jesus died so that separation could die. Jesus was killed so that he could kill the effects of sin in our lives. Jesus died to kill hostility Hmm. for through him it says in verse 18 we both have access in one spirit to the father this was Christ's mission to bring us together with each other and with God and if you wake up every morning and could just pause for a moment and think that is awesome it will change the way you live your day If you can wake up and remember what you've been saved from if you can wake up and remember the miracle of your salvation that jesus tore down the walls i'm not saying it's going to be a perfect day a happy day even but i'm saying underneath whatever circumstances you're facing you can rejoice in the fact that jesus is yours and you are his the final thing is this we need to respond we need to respond when we understand things about god and what he does for us uh, the only natural thing that we should do is to respond with a life that says thank you. Paul goes to that as he continues to speak to his friends in Ephesus. He says in verse 19, okay, can you go back to the, yeah, yeah we, should, we should respond by living in light of who Jesus made us to be. Uh, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says two things there, you're citizens, you're, you're a part of the kingdom. You're not Gentiles outside, far from God. You are citizens. You've been made part of the kingdom of God. You're not only citizens, you're members of the household of God. What's that mean? We're family. We're family. As Christians, we belong to God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not only he doesn't stop there though. We're not just members of the kingdom or citizens of the kingdom. We're not just. Uh, you know, family members, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. He spo- he's uh, speaking here of the New Testament teachings that had come from the apostles to the prophetic teachings that had come through the prophets in the Old Testament. We're built on that foundation of truth, and Jesus Christ Himself is our cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You know what else He calls us? We're not just citizens, we're not just brothers and sisters, we're bricks. We're blocks. We're, we're pieces in a grander temple. I know that the Bible tells us that we are, you know, the, the body, our bodies are the temple of God and that he uh, resides in us, and that is true, but there is a greater temple that each individual temple is a part of. It's the body of Christ. Christ is our cornerstone, our foundation. If I had more time, that is an awesome statement because the cornerstone is a stone that every other block is laid from as you build a building. It's the, it's the huge building that, excuse me, the huge building block uh, that uh, basically the rest of the building rests on. Did you know that the temple itself was built on a 38 foot long, six or eight foot wide, four or five foot high slab of granite? Or whatever kind of stone it was. But it was massive. I've seen it. A couple buses long. And the whole temple was resting its weight on that one cornerstone. That's Jesus. He's from whence we have our guidelines and from whence we have uh, our foundation but we make up his holy temple. And so here in these last couple verses, verses 20 and 21, uh, we see the instructions that Paul gives to the Ephesians. These are our instructions as we respond to the knowledge of what God has done for us and how Christ has saved us. We need to stay together. He says Christ Jesus himself is being the cornerstone. Uh, we, we understand his belonging around here. Uh, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, we, we need to stay together. That means if you're not in a life group, you, you need to find some people you can be together with in relationship. That uh, You should, wherever possible, serve others and be connected in those uh, environments where, where you have friends and, and, and family members, whoever it is in the body of Christ, that can encourage you and support you. It, it, it's, the, it's our response to what Jesus has done for us. To align ourselves as the building blocks of his greater temple, and to honor him by loving each other we need to keep growing finally as we finish this is what we talk about here in our four is worshiping and serving and multiplying. we need to grow in these areas because it says that christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows it's implied that if you're a part of the body of christ you're growing and you're doing it because as you grow the body grows Maybe numerically, hopefully numerically, because we should be adding to our number daily those who are being saved. Everybody agree with me? But not just quantitatively, but qualitatively. Listen, we're like a chain, and the weakest links affect the strength of us. We're we're like a a building that's being built. I don't know a whole lot about this. That's been well-founded in my preaching illustrations before, but I do know enough. If I'm going to build something out of two-by-fours, I need the straight ones. In fact, I'll stand and I'll watch you know, construction guys who know what they're doing go to a pile in Home Depot and they'll just eye every board because they don't want to build. You guys know this. You don't want to build with faulty material. It's, it's going to compromise the strength of whatever you're building. And God doesn't want to build his church with nominal, laissez-faire, disinterested, defeated followers of Jesus Christ. He wants strong boards, straight boards, boards that seek to honor him with everything in life. And so, as you leave this morning and you respond to the, the teaching of God's word, understand that you are lost, separated, Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Live in light of that and appreciation. You don't deserve to be on the plane. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus found you, that His Holy Spirit prompted you to put faith in him, and that you have, despite what's going on in your life, despite whatever trials you face, you have the blessed assurance that Jesus is yours. And let His joy fill you, and then go and live in your marriages live as a servant because jesus served you at your jobs work hard and honor those around you because jesus has honored you in the church be together because jesus j- died so that you and, my, you and i might be together and then grow like paul was praying i pray that you would go to the deep end that you would have a deeper knowledge of God's immeasurable greatness and His power. Will you stand with me as we're dismissed this morning? God in heaven, we are grateful for your power to bring us peace. And as we read these words that Paul wrote to his friends in Ephesus, we know you inspired them and that their truth is as real today as it was back when he penned them. Um, thanks for seeing us uh, from far off and bringing us near thanks for giving us your son Jesus and uh, Lord I pray that that inspires us every day that we wake up help us to go from just being laissez faire and kind of in our whole you know Christian existence to being amazed by your grace help us to live God in response to the things uh, that your word uh, has told us about you uh, may we be uh, worthy citizens of your kingdom honorable members of your family uh, may we be the, uh, the followers the the blocks of your temple that uh, you've called us to be Uh, and use this god use this god to carry your message of peace to a world that desperately needs it Uh, we extol you you are great and awesome and worthy of all of our lives help us to willingly and gladly surrender to you god as we follow you each day i pray this over your church so that you get your glory that you deserve And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you.